Well, my text for this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, and we'll be looking at verses 22 to 26. And this is the penultimate text in the first half of Mark's Gospel. And so next week, if the baby doesn't come, we'll have our last sermon uh, for the first half of the Gospel of Mark, and we'll move into a new series after that. And that's because in the middle of the Gospel of Mark, there's this transition moment where the disciples finally realize that Jesus is the Christ. And so this text that we're looking at this morning is the text that comes right before the disciples finally confess and realize that Jesus is the Christ, that the Christ is the one who they've been following. And so uh, before we come to God's word, let's come before him in prayer. Gracious and loving Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would illumine the scriptures to us so that we can understand all that they're trying to communicate to us. And Father, this morning we're looking at a story about your son. And so we pray that through this word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would learn uh, to love Jesus more and that we would learn to become better disciples of his. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, this short little story about Jesus healing a blind man teaches us an awful lot about what it means to be healed by the Lord Jesus. And more specifically, the short little story teaches us a great deal about Jesus' ability to restore sight to the blind and what that might mean for people who find themselves suffering with some sort of blindness. And so to begin with, it's important to just notice what's obvious about this text. It's important to comment on two great truths that have been reiterated over and over again as we've made our way through the Gospel of St. Mark. The two great truths are these. First, Jesus is powerful, and second, Jesus is loving. Consistently throughout St. Mark's Gospel, we have seen that Jesus is powerful, more powerful indeed than any other human being who has ever lived, any other human being who we might have met. He has shown that he has the power to cure physical illness. He's shown that he has the power to cast out demons. He's shown that he has the power to control the weather, to control the physical elements of the earth. And now in this story, he's showing us that he has the power to make the blind see. An incredible power. He's also shown us that he is a powerful teacher with a yet unseen ability to handle the word of truth. And so Jesus has shown us that he's powerful. But we also see throughout the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is loving. And this story about Jesus healing a blind man is a further revelation of Jesus' love. Once again, in this morning's text, we find Jesus dealing compassionately with someone who needs his help. At this point in Mark's Gospel, we have found ourselves a pattern Time and time again, groups of people have brought forward their sick, and time and time again, Jesus has been moved with compassion to heal those who have been brought to him. 
And so as we consider this story together this morning, it's good to remind ourselves of these two key truths, these two key truths that, we, that we've been exploring for the past couple of months, the truths that Jesus is powerful and the truths that he's loving, which taken together remind us that Jesus is willing to use his vast power and his vast resources to bless and help humanity. Jesus is powerful enough that he can heal, and he's loving enough that he wants to heal. Now, what might have seemed strange to you when you listened to this story that was just read earlier by Stanley and Ivy is that Jesus in this situation opts to heal this blind man in two stages. Usually, when Jesus heals a man or heals a woman, he does it in one fell swoop. He simply says the word or lays his hands upon the person and then the healing is done. But in this situation, Jesus chose to heal the man in two stages. Jesus laid his hands on the man the first time, but then he asks him if he sees anything. And the man responded by saying that he saw men, but that these men looked like trees walking, which is to say things were fuzzy, things weren't quite in focus yet. And so then Jesus lays his hands upon the man a second time, and his sight is fully and completely restored. It's the same complete healing in the end that we've seen time and time again throughout the Gospel of Mark. And so we might at this moment simply pause and ask ourselves, why does Jesus choose to heal this man in two stages? What is Jesus up to in this particular moment? He's never done it before that we've seen in the Gospel of Mark, and so why is Jesus doing it in this situation? Well, at first glance, the two-staged nature of Jesus' healing shows that sometimes Jesus wants to heal gradually instead of in one fell swoop. This might be a truth that some of you have experienced even in your own lives. Perhaps some of you have prayed that God would heal you, that God would relieve you of some sort of burden. And instead of healing you or relieving you all in one moment, he's done so over the course of days or months or weeks or years. And you know, I'd like to suggest that even if you don't have a particular moment in your mind, that all of us are in a similar situation. All of us in individual and specific ways find ourselves suffering from and burdened by the ill effects of sin. Sin, which you could call that great disease, which infects every single human soul, is something that all of us suffer from. And God, in his great, uh, in his great wisdom, heals us of this disease gradually throughout our lives. Right? This healing is what we often call sanctification. And in all of our lives, our sanctification is gradual, and our sanctification um, happens over the course of our whole lives. And so all of us should be able, in a way, to resonate with what's going on in the life of this man. Right? We want to be cured, but Jesus is doing it in our lives gradually. You know, I had a wonderful conversation a few years ago with a dear friend, and this conversation has left a, a great impact, uh, a great imprint on my heart. And in this conversation, my friend was telling me 
the story of his own conversion. And he said to me something like, you know, Colton, when I was converted, it seemed that certain sins just, you know, poofed out of nowhere and they were gone. You know, I was healed of them in that very moment. I no longer wanted to do certain things. I no longer had a desire to do certain things. But other sins hung around. And other sins are still hanging around, right? Other temptations are still hanging around. And he asked me the question, I wonder why God does that. I wonder why God healed me of certain sins instantly, but left me uh, to heal of other sins over the course of years. And I think that's a good question to ask, and I think it's something that we often experience in our own lives. And so you see, dear friends, one of the things that's important for us to realize is that Jesus is the master physician of the soul. And he knows what he's up to, he knows what treatments are needed, and he knows what treatments will best accomplish the overall health of the patient. And so he applies his treatments and requires our participation in those treatments as he sees fit. You know, sometimes Jesus does something that's spiritually akin to an amputation. Sometimes he comes into your life, lops off a spiritual arm and says, there you go. (laughs) I did the job all in one fell swoop. But other times the Lord puts us on a long and gradual healing regime. Sometimes he puts us through spiritual physiotherapy. And over the course of months and years, we have to work with him uh, in our sanctification. We have to work with him to overcome our sin. In both situations, Jesus heals. In both situations, Jesus gets the job done. And it's important to remind ourselves as we look at this story that in the end, even though the healing is gradual, the blind man does end up completely and totally healed. Now, another thing that this story teaches us about Jesus is that he encourages us to pause in the midst of our lives and take stock of our situation. We see this in the question that Jesus asks the blind man in the midst of his healing. He asks the blind man, do you see anything? And in this moment, we see Jesus urging the man to be honest about his situation. We see Jesus urging the man to give an honest account of where he was at at that time. And so the man being honest replies by saying, I see a little bit. I see men, but they look like trees walking, right? Things are still fuzzy. Things aren't quite in focus yet. And so the man's honest, right? You can imagine the man saying, well, that's good enough. I won't ask anything more. But no, the man's honest. He responds to Jesus's question honestly. And when he does, Jesus heals him the further amount. And so I wonder what would happen if I got each and every one of you to take a good and honest look at your own lives. I wonder what would happen if each of you took the time to really take stock of your current situation. What would you say is going well? What would you say is not going so well? What might be going badly? What do you find encouraging in life? What do you find discouraging in life? Maybe I could ask you the same question that Jesus asked the blind man. Do you see anything? Do you see Jesus clearly? Do you see the things of your life clearly? Are there things about Jesus? Are there things about the life of following Jesus that you still don't understand, that you still haven't quite wrapped your mind around? What are those things? What sort of answers are you looking for? What sort of clarity are you looking for? 
Because you see, based on St. Mark's spirit-inspired placement of this text at the midway point in his gospel, I think St. Mark is showing us that midway through the ministry of Jesus, it's important for us to take stock of the things that we have seen. It's important to cast our minds backward and to consider the things that we have seen Jesus do and the things that we've heard Jesus teach. This certainly seems to be what Jesus is doing in the lives of his disciples, right? Over the past few weeks, we've seen that the questions of Jesus have been getting more numerous and the questions of Jesus have been getting more probing. Uh, Things reached a fever pitch last week when Jesus seemed to barrage the disciples uh, with a set of uh, tough questions. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? Do you not yet understand? Jesus asks his disciples. And with each of these questions, Jesus is prompting his disciples to do a sort of internal audit. He's asking them to take all that they've witnessed and learned and to turn it over in their minds, to process it in their minds, and to begin to draw some conclusions from what they've been witnessing as they follow Jesus along. And Jesus knows that if the disciples really begin to think through all that they've witnessed, that they'll eventually come to the realization that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, the Messiah. Which, to give a spoiler, which I already gave, that'll happen next week. They'll finally lock it in. And so Jesus is questioning and Jesus is urging for the blind man and the disciples to take stock is done for the sake of greater clarity. Right? Jesus gets the blind man to stop so that he can tell Jesus that he needs more healing. Right? And Jesus gets the disciples to stop so that they can get more clarity on who he is. And so, dear friends, at this point in your spiritual lives, I'd encourage you to do something quite similar. I'd encourage you to ask yourselves some probing questions, which will help you to take stock of your heart, your mind, your spiritual lives. Ask yourselves questions like, what is it, that I've actually seen at this point? What is it that I actually understand about Jesus at this point in my life? What are those things which I might not understand about Jesus at this point in his life, in my life? What do I know about his character? What do I know about what he's done? What do I actually believe about him? Am I actually convinced of certain truths or do I just believe them because I've been told that they're the right thing to believe? Take a good, honest stock of your life, and I think you'll find that the process is helpful. And it's worth doing because it enables us to come before the Lord as we are, and it enables us to see those things from the Lord that are actually most important to us. You know, many people are hindered in their spiritual lives because they never actually stop and think. They never set aside the time to think through a matter or to talk through a matter with a trusted and wise friend. They frantically pray for this or they frantically read their Bible for that. They frantically read spiritual books, but they never stop and think. They never really take stock of their situation and therefore they so often never really get clear on what it is that is troubling them and ailing them. Uh, One of the books which has been very helpful to me in my life is a book called Spiritual Depression uh, by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And the title is depressing, but it's a very good book. Um, 
And one of the things that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said in that book, which has always stuck with me, is he said, sometimes people come to me for counsel. And the problem is almost that they're praying too much, but they're praying for the wrong thing. They've never actually stopped and thought about what they should be praying for. And so he says, often I say to them, pump the brakes, think about what you should be praying for, and then go and pray. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones isn't against prayer, um, but he is for thoughtful and considered prayer. And I uh, took this quote from his book. The vital principle is that we must face ourselves and examine ourselves. And if we are among those that never seem to know the joy of salvation and the joy of the Lord, we must discover the cause. The causes are many, and it seems to me that the essence of wisdom in this matter is to deal with these causes one by one and to take them in detail. Nothing must be taken for granted. Indeed, it could easily be established that the main cause of trouble in this matter is the fatal tendency to take things for granted. More and more do I find this to be the case as I talk to others about these matters. There are so many people who never seem to arrive at the true Christian position because they are not clear in their minds about certain primary matters, certain fundamental things that should be dealt with at the beginning. Right? And so Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his counseling ministry, often found that he had to go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to some silly thing that they'd learned in Sunday school, and fix that before he could fix everything else, right? And so we Christian people ought to be a thinking people, right? Ought to be a people who ask ourselves questions. And Martin Lloyd-Jones finds great um, reason for this in Psalm 41 and 42, where the psalmist says, why are you cast down, O my soul? It, the psalmist is asking himself a question, saying, why are you downcast? What's going on there, right? And so we should be people who do a similar thing, right? We should ask ourselves the question Jesus asks us. Do you see anything? And so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take stock of your lives. Much of your happiness on this side of heaven depends upon your willingness to think deeply about your spiritual life. And it could very well be the case that you are suffering from something which is as of yet unidentified in your life. It could very well be the case that you went wrong some years back and need some matter of doctrine sorted out before you can really move forward confidently. And so friends, if you are fuzzy, if things seem not quite clear, then seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his word, seek him in prayer, seek him in the fellowship of his people. As the scriptures say, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And in his grace, he may lay his hand upon you a second time and bring the clarity that you're looking for. You know, pray the words of that great old hymn, Just as I am. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Right, bring that internal conflict before the Lord and say, Lord, I want clarity. I want you to sort me out. Now, friends, as we close, I would be remiss and I would, I'd be a bad pastor if I didn't point out to you that at the end of the story, as I've already said, the man is fully and completely healed. Right? Jesus doesn't leave the man half blind, but gives him full sight in the end. As you know, by the end of this story, I'm reminded of the words of St. Paul, who wrote in his letter to the Christians in Philippi, and I am sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, we're not without hope. What the Lord has begun, the Lord will also finish. The good Lord will not leave you half healed. He will not leave you half saved, half redeemed, or half renewed, or half sanctified. He will complete the work that he's begun in you. To quote St. Paul again, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Right? Jesus takes you through the whole process. He doesn't leave you halfway. He doesn't give up on you halfway. He ensures that the full healing comes to pass. And so this is another good reminder that the good work of Jesus, which he began in you, will be completed. Jesus never deals in half measures. And so we've learned these three things about the Lord Jesus and how he heals. Sometimes he heals gradually over the course of a long time. While he's healing us, he encourages us to take stock of our, information, of our situation, to consider deeply what we're going through, And finally, he always heals in full. He always brings to completion what he has begun in us. And so with that, let's pray. Gracious and loving Lord, Jesus, we thank you that you are the great healer. We thank you for all these beautiful stories that we've read about you healing men, women, and children. And we also thank you of that great story of the crucifixion and the resurrection, which proclaims to us that you also heal our deepest disease, which is sin. And Jesus, we do pray that you would heal us completely of this awful thing. That you'd set us free from it, that you'd liberate us from it, that you'd make us well. And Jesus, we pray this with a good hope that you will do it that you will accomplish it. Because, Lord Jesus, we do look forward to that day when we can stand before you face-to-face, completely pure and completely blameless. And thank you for all of eternity for what you've done for us. And so in these next days, Jesus, I pray that you would help us to take stock of our lives, to think deeply about where we are at this current moment, and then to come to you with an honest, plea for the things that we need and Jesus if we're confused or if we find that we can't quite get down to the root of the issue we pray that you'll help us by your spirit through the word through trusted friends through whatever means it takes for us to come to a clear understanding of what we need and what we ought to be praying for Jesus we pray these things in your name Amen